Hi, I'm Jason Sirodin, and welcome to the Mobile Home Expert Podcast with Glenn Esterson. This is our first uh, podcast, Glenn, so why don't you say hi to everybody? Hello, everyone. I'm Glenn Esterson. I appreciate you all being here. Uh, so this podcast is really dedicated to teaching people how to invest and manage mobile home parks, not only in the United States, but all over, right, Glenn? It, it applies to all over, but we'll mostly be focusing on the United States. Awesome. And so the goal is, is that I am a, uh, a pretty savvy investor, but I've never invested in the mobile home park space. Glenn and I met. And I've seen the things that he's been doing, and I like his approach in terms of, you know, his ethics in the space, which I think is really important, which we'll get into today. But Glenn is just a wealth of knowledge, and he is crushing it in the space, doing just a, a marvelous job. He's just released a new book. Glenn, what is the new book called? Uh, the Mobile Home Park Manifesto. And it's uh, based off of about almost 20 years of being in the business uh, on a high-level broker and, and a former owner. That's really cool. And so w- what, what can I expect to learn over the next several weeks as you and I dive in? Just like top level, who is this for? Well, mobile home parks are uh, a nitsy little real estate product that uh, has been unnoticed for most of my career. And uh, in the last few years, it's, it's become uh, more popular. And what we've seen people coming in from are, are people that were similar to me when I started out, looking for either a first investment uh, that had uh, a higher yield than most, uh, that they could manage while still having a career and a family and all things like that. And uh, we, the other aspects of the book will you know, cover with people that are on the high end of the business that own, you know, a hundred and something parks around the country and, and some tips and tricks, you know, directly from them, how they were able to scale up and uh, some of the approaches that have been brought uh, to the table. Some, the biggest focus you'll gain learning with me is, a, is, an, is an ethical approach on uh, earning income while working with poor people because it's a, it's a delicate balance. Gotcha. And so uh, how did you get started in this business? It, it's so niche. Did you stumble into it? I stumbled directly into it, having no interest in investing in it. When I got started, I had just moved uh, from South Florida to Western North Carolina and I needed to have some extra income and trying to find an investment I can afford, like an apartment building or a retail shop was just out of reach for me. And I had t- talked to a, uh, a broker who recommended taking a look at a mobile home park. And I kind of laughed at it. Uh, and I said, I don't think that would be for me. And he said, uh, just come out and take a look. And you know, I, I looked at it and I actually walked away from it for about six months. The park was still for sale six months later, and I hadn't uh, found anything else to invest in. And the broker came back to me, and uh, we decided I decided at that point that, hey, you know what, this actually does make a lot of sense. And uh, for what yield it was giving, it, it, made, it made me say, okay, let's do it. Um, and I spent a couple years learning the business, and then uh, 
uh, you know, one thing led to another, and you know, here I am today. And uh, uh, it was a roller coaster getting started. There was no real advice out there on how to get started in the business, and you know, for better or worse, it took a, uh, you know, I definitely took uh, some gut punches throughout the initial process of investing. Uh, but uh, thankfully, with enough management over time, I was able to land on my feet, and I've helped now, you know, hundreds of. Uh, new investors and, and seasoned investors continue expanding the mobile home market for their portfolios. And, um, you know, now I just broker full time. So how do you, um, in the space, how, what is like the average return on an investment? So if somebody's just straight up looking at this as a way to make cash, as most businesses do, what, what can they expect? Is there like a range of returns? Obviously, you know, if you mess it up, you're going to lose everything. But what are the positive sure. outcomes look like? Sure. Well, the, the typical type of return that I sell is going to be anywhere, you know, depending on how you look at the investment. But if you look at all cash in versus all cash out and uh, you, you do it appropriately, um, you're, you're going to end up with, you know, somewhere between a 12 and 15 percent on most first investment type of deals that are kind of, um, you know, mid-grade quality in a mid-grade location. And, you know, of course, the more primary markets and the higher end parks, you're going to get a substantially less return. And, you know, opposingly, if you take off a, a really big, hairy deal that, you know, uh, all upside, you might end up seeing a much higher return. Uh, I've sold returns as high as 30% on current incomes before, and I've sold returns as low as 6% on current income before. But most people are getting somewhere between, you know, 12 and 15% pretty consistently. And we try and push to that 15 to 18% returns uh, without too much um, pushback on that. How long does it typically take to see the returns? It depends. Um, some deals, if you're buying a nice, clean, turnkey type of deal where you could have absentee ownership and you have on-site management that does all the everything for you and you don't have to think about it, you know, you can see near one right out, you know, day one right out the gate of, you know, 8 to 10% returns um, most of the time. Sometimes it's 7 or 8%, but most of the time, you know, in that range. But if you buy a deal like what I bought, you know, you're going to work, you're going to work pretty hard while having somewhere in that, you know, 10% return. But my goals were always to push it higher and to get to that higher return. Typically three years, you know, is, is what I would set your expectation for to really see the higher end of the returns after maximizing the, the investment vehicle. So recently, John Oliver, uh, you sent me this clip because it, you know, it was something that you're passionate about, but he did kind of an expose on the mobile home park industry, talking about how these giant companies that are worth billions of dollars are now owning the homes where, you know, some of the poorest Americans live and they're raising the rent sometimes 30 percent. And um, you sent me a letter that you wrote to John Oliver, which I thought was really great. Can you kind of give us your stance and take on the current state of the mobile home park business and, and where maybe some investors are, are going the wrong way and, and creating an, a, a negative vibe, so to speak? Yeah, you know, the, the episode he released actually shed uh, a lot of light on the industry. And I'm not 
here to say it's accurate or inaccurate, but I am here to say that it is a perception that our industry deals with. And a lot of that stems from the last, you know, call it uh, five years since the Great Recession has kind of, for intents and purposes, ended, and we uh, have shifted into a strong economy. And there's a lot of, in lack of a better term, gurus out there teaching people uh, ways to, to, to make more money off of a park. And, and capitalism is capitalism. That's what we do. Uh, unfortunately, capitalism unbridled uh, tends to devour itself. And um, what we're seeing now is all sorts of new entry people and all sorts of big money people coming into this industry where there isn't a lot of sophistication yet and uh, have been consolidating and, and running uh, rents up uh, to points that are just very aggressive, but still in line as compared to what an apartment might cost you. Now, the, the, these new owners that have gotten involved, uh, just to correct you a little bit from what you were saying, is they're not owning the homes. They actually own the land for the most part underneath the homes that the tenants themselves own, uh, the mobile home, which uh, unfortunately isn't as mobile as it should be, as it was intended to be. Um, and so, what you've seen is a lot of uh, smart guys getting into this business saying, hey, there's a delta between what an apartment rent costs and, and what these mobile home lot rents are, and we can capitalize on that. For better or worse, that's what they're doing. And, and my book is, is uh, a lot about bringing an empathetical approach to uh, doing this and, and explaining to people that the rent increases are not your only option. And in fact, they should be the last option that you use uh, before uh, uh, it, before taking more money from uh, one of your tenants. There's other ways to increase your income on those properties without raising rents. And we talk a lot about, you know, uh, how to achieve that type of upside because uh, it's, it's just better policy to fill your park if it's not already full before you go and, and start raising rents on people that have been in these parks, some of them 20, 30 years. I had a gentleman living at my first park. Uh, he was in his eighties when, when I took over the park and his rent was $75 a month. And um, nowhere that I knew of in this country could you live for that price. And uh, throughout the whole time he stayed with me, he ended up dying in his trailer. He stayed with me, you know, close to, to eight or nine years uh, we didn't raise his rents. There was no need to. I mean, uh, it, uh, the rest of the park was renting for 150 to $200 lot rent. But for him, that little $100 bump to us, that would mean nothing. But to him, that was every last extra dollar that he had to live on. And uh, I could never get the mental capacity to be able to do that to people like that. And uh, I found other ways to achieve higher income. And uh, well, what were some of, of those? Uh, well, vacant lots are a big deal. A lot of parks, you know, are, are going to have at least 10%, maybe 20% of the lots still vacant. And, uh, you know, filling those lots up by either buying a home and, and then selling it to a tenant uh, or encouraging tenants to buy their own home and bring it to your park, even if you're, you're paying some concessions for it. Uh, they're harder to achieve, but it's a better foundation uh, for your park. And that $100 rent increase that we were just talking about is less valuable to you than having a whole new tenant paying a whole new lot rent of, you know, what's going to be $200, $250, $300 right now when you look at capitalizing that income when you go for a sale. Because that uh, uh, 
that's that's really where you make your money on these parks is by um, applying a capitalization rate at the end that's uh, commensurate with the risk involved in the location of the park, and uh, that's that's where you're going to see the the accelerated wealth um, being accumulated when you go and sell. It's not just on the daily cash flow you're getting out of somebody, but that little daily cash flow you're getting out of somebody is coming out of their pockets that very well might be coming away from the medicine, might be coming away from you know their their child support or from some other payment that they also are obligated to have, but maybe it's on a lower priority than their housing for them in their mind, understandably. Um, and so I like to teach sort of a, a mentality of, you know, empathy when working with these type of people, uh, you know, other ways to increase, you know, incomes or anywhere from, um, you know, you could, if the utilities aren't metered to start submetering the utilities and then either subsidize some of that, that, that you uh, that the tenants are, uh, should be paying for it, but most tenants are fine with paying for their own water nowadays. And while that does come off of, uh, you know, off of their, 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 their finite amount of income they have, it is not as harsh as charging them, you know, taking their rents from 150 to $250, uh, at least, you know, the, at least in the initial time, because most people understand, well, if I use a utility, then I need to, you know, I probably need to pay for it, but you're saving them money as well by not having them pay deposits and things like that, that a utility company might be charging. So there's, there's numerous ways to skin that cat. Gotcha. So when you're thinking about this, before we dive into kind of your first chapter of the book and kind of dissecting it, and I'm going to start my journey, I just wanted to kind of talk about what the biggest problems that a lot of mobile home park owners face and some of the biggest advantages that they have. Do you have any insight on that? Yeah, of course. Some of the the biggest challenges that a lot of these owners have right now um, especially if they've owned the park for the while and just never quite performed as well as they were hoping, uh, which which happens all the time. Um, a lot of it has to deal with infrastructure issues, with uh, uh, municipality issues, and 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 bully landlording. There's a lot of archaic models of mentality in this business that um, I think are are a are cumbersome for an owner to get good quality tenants now. There's, you know, owners out there that still carry guns when they're out collecting their rent and people that, uh, you know, a good person doesn't want to live in a park with, with landlords that are doing things like that. It's just too intimidating. Um, and the the reaction from the sellers or from the owners when and I've asked them about that is like, well, there's a tough element of people here and they know I'm carrying money. And, it's, you know, there's, there's rationale there. But I think... Um, <clears throat> Through the proper vetting of tenants, you should be able to have comfort in your park and create a stabilized, um, you know, kind of uniformed policy there that it's a safe park and that, you know, there's no need for that type of bully landlording or, or intimidation tactics in order to get your tenants to pay. And that sounds stressful. I, I might have, <laughs> it, it is. I, I remember, you know, when I first started collecting rents, I, you know, I'd pick up ten, fifteen thousand dollars in cash, and and I'd sit there and say, "Huh, I know there's some crackhead around some corner of here going, hmm, what's that guy doing?" And it is nerve wracking, but I think over time, uh, when you treat your tenants well, you know, they start to, you know, most of your tenants don't want any problems, and if you vetted your tenants well, you're not going to have riffraff in your park. But a lot of tenants, a lot of owners don't vet their tenants well and they end up with a lot of riffraff in their park and you know it's kind of a chicken and egg situation there 
Um, and sometimes those parks require, uh, you know, a big redo and the new owner might have to go through that process, but that's, you know, some real value if it's, uh, if it can be accomplished. Of course, there are some locations and some parks that you might find yourself saying, well, I don't think I want to necessarily spend my time doing this for the next five years. So I'll, I'll look at something else. And those, you know, those kind of parks, those are the guys we see go sideways often. And, uh, you know, the people who pick the shadier parks, yeah, because they see a bigger yield. They say, oh, it's got, you know, day one returns of 15 or 20 percent. And they say, ah, well, I, you know, all I got to do is just, you know, take out the whip and start cracking it. And, you know, before you know it, they, they weren't able to change the direction of that. And you end up having um, a very slippery slope. And we talk a lot about, you know, time, headache, and value. Time, value, headache is kind of the model I use for most things in life. But uh, I really... I really like to apply it to the mobile home industry because not every mobile home park right now or ever is a great deal and that you should be involved in. A lot of the deals you should just simply walk away from. And I like to kind of help my guys understand which those deals are and, and depending on your risk threshold, which deals would fit with your persona of your, your investment style. Do mobile home parks have a culture? You know, like some neighborhoods have a culture and a feeling is it is it more so, less so, or just kind of standard neighborhood stuff? No matter if it's a mobile home park or not, it definitely has it definitely has its own personality. And depending on where you are in the country, it, you know, can be amplified. Uh, you know, my 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 first park, the park that uh, I bought in, in Eastern Tennessee, um, they 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 were an interesting crew. <laughs> you know, I remember. Uh, the day that I first came out there, there was a, uh, a mother sitting on her porch with her young child playing in the grass in front of the home. And the kid's walking up to the gasoline can that was sitting next to the broken down car and playing with it. And the mom's just sitting there telling them to knock it off, but not doing anything. And, you know, you have these, <laughs> types a lot of, of <laughs> you know, <laughs> you have these types of personalities there that for better or worse, they, you know, uh, they, they, there, there can be a lot of drama in these parks, but uh, the big difference in a park that has a lot of drama and a park that doesn't is really through the owner and the manager that are operating those parks and through the tenant vetting process. Um, you know, the, there, there's some parks that are, are very sleepy and quiet and everybody minds their own business. Uh, at my park, it was not that way. Everybody knew everybody's business every moment of the day and loved to tell me about it every moment of the day. And, um, you know, for me, for me, it was a little too aggravating. So I eventually got a manager to deal with it, who understood the personality of the park well enough and the tenants in that park well enough to be able to uh, keep them in line and to help them, you know, promote a safer lifestyle and and help them, you know, figure out ways to uh, be more productive people. And, you know, for me, it worked well. I had very long lasting tenants there uh, up until I lost my manager and then I lost a lot of my tenants. Go figure. Um, you know, so these are, you know, some of the complications with person, you know, with, with the personalities out of park. And it's unfortunate that a lot of the people who end up living in a lot of the lower class type of parks have had very hard lives and uh, didn't have quite the opportunities that maybe other people had. And there's, you know, definitely a lot of medical issues, a lot of uh, uh, um, employment issues and things like that that just make it hard for them to ever get a foothold and by being a a landlord especially for these lower income types you're giving them you know at least some solid ground now it's kind of up to you to to, you know to help them you know be 
more productive and have better jobs and, and teach them a few skills and at least provide them with nothing else, a safe place that has, you know, an owner that understands that, that, you know, they're going through a hard time. And as long as they're not being, you know, terrible tenants that you're willing to work with them. Cause that, that's an important thing that, you know, not enough people are providing other people in this uh, uh, society that we have here. Yeah. Affordable housing, of- affordable housing is really important. People need a place to call home. If they don't have hope, do. that's when they turn to crime and that's when bad yep, things happen. So it's important that these and places exist. Absolutely. And, and the affordable housing crisis that we're having here, whether, you know, it's fact or fiction, in my opinion, it's fact. And, uh, you know, most people focus on low income housing with apartments. Uh, but for a huge portion of America, even that is still unaffordable. You know, it's going to take one person two full-time jobs to be able to afford your standard two-bedroom apartment uh, in almost any city in the United States. And that's where mobile home parks really kind of fill a void. You know, there's 20, 25 almost million people living in mobile homes uh, in the United States right now. And, you know, in the parks, you know, there's no exact numbers, but, you know, the, the best guesstimate is somewhere around 10, 12 million people living in mobile home parks. Um, and that's a lot of people that, you know, need that need the security blanket of low, uh, of, of, you know, of a, of a low priced home or space to raise their family. Um, but with all these investors coming into this business and saying, you know, Hey, there's an opportunity here. It, it has put some, uh, a lot of upward pressure on the price, um, <clears throat> for these homes. And in my mind, what I see in the happening is some regulation is going to be, uh, enacted one, one, in one fashion or another. And I would think it would make sense to get ahead of the curve with that and and maybe help, um, you know, help with these regulations in a way that still adds to the profitability of an investor. Because this business takes a high return to get an investor to want to deal with this kind of stuff. And and that's, that's an important function. You know, risk and reward will always be a huge piece of capitalism. Absolutely. And uh, the, if it gets too regulated, we're you know you're going to see a stalemate happen here, and it's going to be a negative thing, and only adds to the affordable housing crisis. Uh, unfortunately, with with the way that some people are are uh, pushing rents at all these places without adding extra value to the tenants' lives in in one fashion or another, it's creating a kind of a bad image. And uh, there's a lot of us here that don't like that image, you know, that, that are actively trying to pursue it. Um, and, you know, that's something that I would like to get behind more and more and help my clients more and more understand the, you know, the need for this and, and the, the ethical, empathetical way to approach it. We're still getting a high yield. Right. So in, in a way, people who have high net worths or, or money to invest, if they're looking to do something that is almost philanthropic, but still delivers a return on their cash, this might be a good Mobile. pathway for them. Mobile home parks, you know, that's that's the ticket right there with that. It's I see tremendous value uh, beyond just financial value of being involved in this industry. Um, and, you know, we can talk more and more about, you know, all the, the feel goods that we can give each other about what we're doing. But at the end of the day, most of us would not be getting into this business if it was not for the yield. Right. And uh, there's just, you know. There's just too many other investments out there that you can get your easy 8% return on without having to try too hard. Right. Um, you know, or 6% return or something, you know. Uh, but mobile homes offer, in my opinion, the best of both worlds when done correctly. 
and I, you know, I see our our haves and has nots uh, be becoming more and more separated with the have nots becoming a larger, larger piece of the segment. And at some point, the counties and the municipalities and the governments are going to realize that we need to expand mobile home parks and we should be able to uh, provide more housing for more people. Because right now, the mobile home park zoning is one of the most um, uh, is one of the hardest zonings to get, and they're not issuing mobile home park zonings in most markets across the United States, giving real value for even an old park that's kind of, you know, ugly. Uh, and, and just that zoning is creating a value for it. Um, and until the governments change their viewpoint on allowing mobile home parks to exist in their local community, that value for that zoning is going to, I think, you know, uh, retain and if not, uh, you know, start growing at some point more than it is. Gotcha. Uh, you know, so so it's it's a lesser known fact about the industry, but that zoning is a big factor as to why this industry uh, is really important. Because, people just don't want them? You know, they just people, don't want yeah, them around? Yeah, most people don't want to live next to a trailer park, right? Right. And, uh, you know, no matter what we call them nowadays, you know, I mean, we call them now mobile home communities, uh, you know, in, in in my world. But, you know, 10 years ago, there were mobile home parks. And 10 years before that, everybody on this planet called them trailer parks. And uh, the, the guy who lives next to one is probably still calling it a trailer park. And, right. You know, the, the county's, you know, saying, hey, you know, we, 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 we want to see – uh, a higher type of person in our county, and these things are a, a blight on on the visual aspect of our county. So we're going to shut them down or create some some uh, hard times for the the people there to try and coerce them out of the home. It's you almost know, like mass gentrification. Yeah, it really is because uh, you know there's a lot of great small secondary and tertiary cities that have uh, mobile home parks right in the middle of. Um, and the county say, hey, this, you know, we'd rather to see high end, you know, housing here. And, you know, the pressure happens. And, and you know, right now nobody's building low end apartments. OK, that's just not happening. Right. It's too expensive. You know, so everybody's building these high end apartments that a lot of these lower end uh, income people can't really afford to use anyway. So um, in my opinion, it, it makes sense to, to get the government and, and the investments behind mobile home housing and see if we can upgrade the image of mobile home housing by not being a trailer park looking thing that they used to all be. And yeah. we're seeing that happen. We really are. We're seeing lots of really good, smart people with money and backers coming in and really upgrading parks right now. And I, and I think it's really wise. And I don't think there's a lot of financial benefit for them doing it other than that's what it takes to get better tenants and to get the city off your back. And eventually you'll be able to, you know, recoup that capital investment. Um, and, you know, with things like the opportunity zones that exist right now, it's, a, you know, another really good way to deploy, you know, capital uh, with, you know, massive tax advantages and, and getting good yield in the meantime. So I think, um, you know, I, I think the time is right. Uh, to to really push this model of you know uh, the, this empathetical capitalist model that um, I'm trying to promote, uh, and, considering and, where we are in the economy and and what the you know what the overall situation looks like for people right now. And I think that leads in nicely to kind of talking. We talked a lot about the disadvantages. What are some of the advantages for investors? Are there like could I expect uh, tax breaks or 
Uh, Section eight housing guaranteed people in the lots. Is there any like big advantages other than, you know, the high risk, high reward? You know, the, the section eight, while it's a great program and it's, it's definitely needed in our country and should be expanded in the mobile home business. It doesn't really exist unless if you own the mobile homes and if you own the mobile homes, the first thing you'll learn is they fall apart every single day. Um, and they, you know, like the, like the car, it just deteriorates. And, um, when I had section eight housing at my park in a couple of units I owned, I found it to be a little, little too hard to navigate with the city. Cause you know, every little thing prevents them from paying you rent until it's fixed. And yes, it should be fixed, but sometimes, you know, it, it gets a little burdensome. So in the mobile home park industry as a whole, thing that most parks are going to be lot rent only parks you're not going to see section eight um so there's no real advantage you know for that um the 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 best advantage to mobile homes is you have one of the stickiest tenant bases that america has to offer um there's not uh the tenants that own their own home and put in your park it is not uncommon to have them spend the rest of their life there and so if you're cognizant of that and you're not, you know, too bullish on pushing rents and, 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 you know, just treating them like a pay stub, uh, you could have a very well-performing park. that's very stable where you actually have connections with people that last decades and they tend to bring their friends along too. And, you know, before you know it, you have a, a park that's got, you know, primarily an aged residence that's very stable. That's maybe living on a fixed income, but providing a nice income for you and still giving them enough uh, value that they want to stick around. Uh, there's some great parks like in um, in North Florida, the guy I've been working with for years. He's owned this park 30 years. He's got tenants that have been in this park for, you know, that entire time he's owned the park. And most of his tenants, I think his average age in his tenants was something like 18 years. Um, and that's, that's crazy. not something you'll ever see not something you'll see at apartment buildings unless you're is, talking about rent control. Is there escalation in the amount of rent um, over the course of year, of years, or does it kind of get locked in? No, it, it grows, but in my opinion, you know, you can only you, you, you can only raise rents on somebody so many times before you just kind of hurt their feelings. And, um, you know, with, with like that guy in Florida, I was just saying, you know, his thing is, if it's not a recession, he raises rents $10 a year. If it is a recession, he doesn't raise rents. Um, and that's, I think that's a fair philosophy. Uh, but, you know, also a fair philosophy is, hey, you know, rents are only $150 here and, and every other park in this neighborhood is charging $300. I can push rents to 250 today and nobody can cry foul. And, and that that is probably more common now than I've ever seen before. These massive rent spikes, um, but you know we'll see if they're you know we'll, we'll see how that goes. But it does does seem to be kind of the new norm, and I think that's where a lot of the pushback from things like the John Oliver episode and stuff come from. Is you know there's justification there to raise rents heavy, but there's also sort of uh, you're taking it off of you know the backs of the poor people, and you know do you have to? Um, so, I mean, I don't know about you, but in my life, nothing's ever gotten cheaper. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, no, nothing ever gets get cheaper. More expensive. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, as, but, but as somebody in a position to, you know, to affect that, I think you have to have, you have to take great responsibility and care in doing so. 
There's nothing wrong with raising rents. There's nothing wrong with it at all on, on its face value. Um, how you do it is going to determine if you're successful with it or not. And how you do it is going to determine if you can sleep with yourself at the end of the day or not. Um, Is this a recession-proof business? Does the recession, does a recession or an economic downturn hurt the mobile home park industry or does it help it? I'll say this about it. If you have good tenants that were already vetted, they're most likely not going anywhere. If they do go somewhere, you're going to be able to fill it up really quick because more people in a recession tend to downsize and move into places that uh, you know offer the safety and quality that they're looking for, but also the affordability, most importantly. Um, however, raising rents in a recession is just so hard to do. I've heard stories. I was not able to, to do it. Um, my park in the recession was well-maintained. I mean, my tenant base stuck around until they didn't. And that was at the tail end of the recession when everybody started getting jobs again and moving out of a, out of that market into a larger market. Right. Uh, so recession-proof, yes, with a caveat, you know, no with a caveat, depending on how you look at it. But the hardest thing about recessions is what the cities do to, you know, to counteract the negative effects of recession. Um, you know, often cities will expand their, 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 their property line, you know, the town line to, you know, the next half mile down the road. And, uh, you might be like at my park, we were outside of the city limits one day and then the next day we were in the city limits and now we were paying city and county taxes. So that was, you know, an extra expense. Uh, and then the city decided to, um, they, they got a grant to expand their, uh, water and sewer treatment plants and forced everybody in the city limits to connect. Well, that was almost a hundred thousand dollars, $90,000 or something like that in the capital expense. That was a, more than a full year's worth of income aren't being earned by my park, uh, you know? And so yeah. recession proof, the park in theory, kind of your the tenants are going to stay there, but what the cities do to, to, counteract the recessions can have a major effect on your operations and your ability to stay in business. Uh, plus banks tend not to loan money during a recession for the mobile home industry. And uh, that, that puts a lot of negative pressure on you as well, especially if you have a loan coming due, like so many of us did during this last recession. So let's get into the start of my journey, right? So over the past, I don't know, we've known each other almost a year now and I, I've watched your career grow and, and really been impressed with the work that you do. I am interested in getting into this space, but I've never done real estate before. I don't know anything about the mobile home park space. And I'm hoping that on my journey to learn, our audience can learn too how to do this ethically and profitably. So Let's kind of look at the first, uh, what we're going to do is go through chapter by chapter of your book and look at this as companion content because reading the book, you have to do it. And you can go to the website, Glenn, what is your website URL one more time? www.themhpexpert.com. 
And there'll be a landing page on there we'll, we'll call podcast or um, if we change the name, ju- just click around. There's not that many pages on there currently um, and find the landing page. And you can download, I believe it's the first chapter of the book for free. Um, it is, uh, Glenn is doing the finishing touches on it. It'll be available on Amazon soonish, um, and possibly digital distribution on the website or at events Glenn's speaking to, but I want to go through and start with, um, kind of chapter one of your book, which is why, why mobile home parks and why is it important? And why is now a good time to get in? Convince me, Glenn. Yeah, so I'd probably convince you, you know, not to get in, to be honest, you know, until you've understood your own personal goals and values and, 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 and your, 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 uh, your apprehension to risk, um, because there's a lot of it in this business. And, and, you know, there's no need for you to get into something that doesn't fit with what your ultimate goals and lifestyle approach is. Uh, if you get through that hurdle and say, you know what, I want to deal with with people that are going to have a lot of issues I won't understand. I want to deal with, uh, you know, going through some of the the municipality issues. I want to deal with, you know, all these other things because I want to add value to the, to the have nots that are out there that, that we could help and provide housing and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And great. Um, You know, there's, there's a real way, uh, you know, for you to have a highly profitable situation while helping people in this business uh, but it's definitely not a painless, brainless, easy peasy type of investment. It is not like buying an apartment building. It is not like buying a triple net, uh, single tenant net lease type of deal. It is not, you know, like buying a, you know, a, a laundromat even. You know, it's a, it's a completely different type of investment with a totally different type of clientele. And so what I tell most people looking to do the first deal is like, well, how about this? You know, if you, you're saying you want to buy this big, chunky, you know, $5 million deal, uh, how about, you know, you take a step back and just buy the million dollar deal first, the, the little deal that has a small return, but you're not going to get hurt and spend six months, you know, to a year in the industry on a smaller deal. That's got all the safe nets in it, all the bells and whistles of a nice little park that will provide for an easier exit. Can I ask um, a quick question, way, Glenn? Well, sure. should, so when I'm looking at this, should I, should I be looking locally? Like, or should I look for the best deal? Sort of like if you're shopping for a specific car, because it seems like proximity to something like this would be relatively important. It is. And I talk a lot about that in the books and in one of the later chapters um, is, you know, the, the location the, for, for people like me that was just getting started. It needed to be somewhere close because I, I needed to, to be hands on in this business is going to require you to have some hands-on stuff, especially in the beginning of your, uh, you know, your investment life with it. Um, you know, these parks, you know, if you have 50 tenants, that's 50 people that are going to call you and tell you everything that's wrong, you know, every single time. Right. So, you know, if, uh, and if you want to pay somebody to get it fixed, Hey, great, but it's going to cost you each and every time. Um, and so I always recommend that, you know, really you should be buying your first deal somewhere close to home. And I talk about, uh, you know, a couple of rules about that. You know, you want to be somewhere within an hour or two, uh, you know, that, that, you know, it's just far enough out of the big city um, so you can get some yield on your deal. But, you know, not too far that you just dread going there every time that you go there. And you might have to go there three, four, five times a week in the beginning just to understand the deal. 
um, as, as you kind of graduate through the scale, the mentality of most of my investors is, all right, I'm willing to do one plane flight uh, and I'm willing to, to, to go up to two hours after that plane flight. Then that works fine and dandy if you're near a big airport. Um, if you're like me, I live in Wilmington, North Carolina. And it's a great little town, but there's just not a lot going on out here. Uh, and the airports are hard. So, I, you know, two, two plane flights and, you know, a one-hour drive is kind of how I look at things. Um, and uh, But if I was starting over again, I would still do it the same way. I would stay within an hour or two of my house, ideally within an hour, and understand for the next six months I'm going to spend a lot of time there learning my tenants, learning the municipality, understanding my vendors, finding the right manager, understanding the upsides that I could achieve with what I have already, and, you know, getting my feet wet, just kind of like going to college before you go to medical school, you know, it's, uh, you know, you want want to take that educational lesson because that's going to be the foundation of how you do the rest of this business. What's my, a lot of, a lot of the guys that I've worked with, you know, not to cut you off real quick, No a lot of the guys that I've worked with that uh, didn't seem to last in this business, they bought, you know, some massive deals far from home and were chasing yield and they said, oh, we're, I'm buying this in the recession. This has to be a good deal. And, uh, you know, I just sold a park for a fella that had almost 300 units and he lost his butt on it. You know, I mean, he, he took a straight million dollar loss on this park and the park was, was, uh, uh you know, in a location that he shouldn't have bought in to start with. And it was, you know, far from his house and he had all these other investors involved. Nobody wanted to do the, the, the daily grind of it. And, you know, they lost. It's unfortunate for them, you know. Do you have to have like a certain amount of grit to be in this business? Like, is that important? I think so. I think, you know, your wit and grit and your wherewithal are really going to be, you know, some fundamental things you need to possess in this industry. And if you don't have it, this this industry will either teach it to you in the most painful ways possible and you'll, you'll get through it or it will just wipe you out in this business. When I started off, definitely got me close to being wiped out where I almost lost my personal home and things like that as well. Um, just because it's uh, it can be all consuming when 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 everything goes bad all at the same time. And, and it probably will again for somebody here and there and you know more than others at times. Uh, it, it can be real devastating to try and, uh, you know, correct the wrongs that got you into that situation. Do you think do you but, think that uh, that's why um, these large conglomerates are getting involved in the space? Because it's almost better to have a machine running it because of how complex and, and difficult it is. I think the large guys are getting into this business in, in, in such a major fashion now. One, because yield is no longer there on the other real estate verticals. Two, this is still a mom and pop industry. And that means from a a Wall Street type of personality that if you consolidate all these inefficiencies between all these various mom and pops, you could really create a great system that will print money for you and get a higher yield than other markets would have would have chased. Now, the small guy, the guys that are like me when I got started in the business, don't really pay attention to that, but they should be. They should be saying, hey, how can I consolidate more mom and pops in the area that I'm going so I can build some more management efficiencies, some more, you know, um, uh, uh, capital exposure efficiencies and, you know, all that kind of stuff to, to correct all the deferred maintenance by using one vendor in one location versus five vendors in five other locations. And um, 
I think you know, that's something that the big boys have done a great job of doing. And uh, because one did it well, now everybody wants to do it. And we're seeing the biggest consolidation in this industry that has probably ever occurred. And there's no no stopping it in sight as far as we can tell. I think you kind of tapped into my narrative here, which is, you know, it, it, you asked earlier, you know, what are your goals? What do you want to do? The idea of creating efficiencies and having multiple parks within a same area where I could tap into the same property managers, the same repair people, the same landscapers, that would be the path that I would want to go down because I know that year one, year two are going to be difficult, but I know that the machine, once I get it going, is going to be easier to manage because I will have the right people and tools in place. So I don't know if that's helpful as we kind of craft our way through what my journey should be, but I feel like that's probably where a lot of people are going to land because it's, you're not a giant corporation and you know, not many people who would want to take this on are looking to do just like a one-off thing. I think that people are looking to build, you know, mini empires. And uh, is would would you say that that would be a safe way to look at this as we go forward and something that's relatable? Absolutely. I would say the average guy that I work with is going to buy the first deal to test the water. And they're going to have that same theory in their head that, hey, if I can figure this out, there's probably 10 other parks in the same county I can acquire and then apply those efficiencies and save a lot of money on things and be able to build a little empire. And so I tell people all the time when they work with me, if we can get one deal done, we'll get 10 deals done. And that's really the goal because if you can't, you know, your first deal is going to determine if you ever want to do this business again. And there's plenty of guys that aren't going to do another deal after their first deal because they realize, Ugh, this is actual work. It's not just, you know, mailbox money. Um, because this, this is a business that, you know, it's like you said, it takes, it can take a solid year or two to get this thing producing well. And if people underestimate out, time, well, people always think things are going to yeah. be easier than they really are. And this already sounds something that is emotionally and, you know, physically draining. Absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, when, when I started doing this, my first park, I was like, oh, easy peasy. I'll spend, you know, five, 10 hours a week, big deal. Uh, and I'll do everything else that my life and I'll just get all this crazy money. And before I knew it, this job, this, that first park was every bit of 40 or 50 hours a week. And um, it really distracted me from my other uh, ventures that I was doing. And, uh, you know, left, it, it left me with kind of like, oh, what did I get myself into feeling? Um, and once I was in it, there's no way out because I wasn't going to lose. So you have to keep working, working, working until it finally corrects itself. Um, and you know, I, had I had been, had I had, uh, more awareness of my capabilities at the time or more awareness of what I was really trying to achieve, um, I might've done something different or I might've bought 10 more of them. I, you know, it's hard to say, you know, <laughs> uh, at the end of the recession, I realized, Hey, I, I made it through this thing and I made money. I want to get back into brokering and teaching people how to do, you know, investments and things like that. And now, you know, now I, I, I just focus on brokering mobile home parks. I don't buy them anymore. And I like helping people, you know, create these efficiencies through my experience and know-how and, and the tips and tricks that I've learned from the hundred other people that I work with in this industry and, you know, really create an efficiency model that will help a, a guy that's starting off with, you know, $100,000, $200,000 be able to be, 
you know, buying his, it, 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 buying some freedom for himself, but it, it doesn't come easy. It takes yeah. many years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, I, and I would say this to people who are listening, because if you're thinking about doing this and you're like, wow, these guys aren't really selling it. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, you can get sold any deal. What we're trying to do is really tell you what it's going to be like. But as I know from building complex businesses, wherever there's complexity, wherever there's that work that someone else doesn't want to put in, that's where the money is. That's where the opportunity is. So if it sounds, if it sounds like we're like, down talking it's just like no you got to be real you got to know that this is a complex tough business to get in and be in and maintain and if you're not up for the challenge don't even get started because you're just going to lose your money and i think from glenn's perspective what i've learned is glenn wants people to be successful because he wants to broker 50 deals with them so so it makes total sense to not qualify somebody who's just going to fail because then what kind of reputation do you have yeah, I don't want to leave a, a sour taste in anybody's mouth because I told them, oh, how this is going to be great and easy and you're going to make all this money and then it doesn't, uh, for one reason or another, doesn't perform. I'd rather tell you up front that this is this business is a gut punch. It was put to me when I first got in this business. It's a kick in the nuts every day and you have to be able to endure. And, um, you know, it's very true. It's uh, When you get up to these large multinational companies that own hundreds of parks, I'm sure it's easier. At least right, we got yeah. that on top of it. Because <laughs> the people the who are, are like, doing the deals <laughs> aren't doing the work. They've got <laughs> exactly. guys who do that. But for the rest of us who who are up for the challenge and know that wherever there's complexity, there's cash. This seems like a really great um, uh, place to go, and I'm excited to learn more. I think you clearly articulated, you know, why mobile homes and why now I would encourage people to read that chapter in the book. We're going to have it up on the website where you can download it. The web address is the MHP Glenn, what is your email address in case somebody wants to hit you up with a question? Sure. Anybody can reach out anytime. I'm, I'm an open book, you know, uh, shoot me a text, an email, whatever is absolutely fine. My email address, it's on my website, but it's gesterson at the mhpexpert.com. And uh, I'm more than happy to, to give you my time and talk to you about what, uh, you know, what I think about things and see if we can get something accomplished here in the next year or two with each other. Awesome. So next week, Glenn, what are we going to talk about? So the first chapter of the book is kind of about why and we got through kind of all that stuff. What what can we expect? What can I expect to learn next week? Sure. So, you know, the, the next thing that would make sense to talk about is really, you know, uh, our tenants. Our tenants are really going to be the, the core of your business. And if you don't like working with people, this is going to really open your eyes as to, you know, uh, some of the challenges that your tenant base is going to have. Things of really understanding your clients and, and why they want to live there and who your tenants are and, and the common links between them, how to keep them in your park and dealing with these riffraffs that you're going to inherit or somehow get through and, and the vetting process of getting good tenants. And that's really, that's going to be the core of your business more important than anything else you do in this business is how you treat and vet your tenants and uh, we'll talk a lot about that next time 
Awesome. Well, thank you all for listening to the Mobile Home Expert Podcast. I'm Jason Sorotin with Glenn Esterson, and we'll see you next week.